Hello, everybody. Hello, Marcy. Hello, Dee. It's good to see everybody for another month of Alive. Uh, that's what, like two in a row? <laughs> right? We're on roll. <laughs> uh, eight month break, you know, no big deal. Um, so we are glad you are here today. And we have a special guest. I don't know if you could tell who it was for my you know, impromptu took me five minutes to slap together a thumbnail and post it everywhere <laughs> today. <laughs> uh, but we have a special guest for y'all and I am going to go ahead and I'm going to run our intro. If I can remember how to do that. That's the one. We'll see you in a minute. Welcome to Umbrella Rebellion. I'm Marcy. And I'm Dee. We are finding healing after leaving a cult. We will be discussing abuse and personal experience with the ATI, IBLP, and fundamental churches. Trigger warning. This podcast may contain descriptions of various forms of abuse. Please take care for your safety and well-being while you are listening. If the content becomes too much for you to handle, please turn this off. We hope to expose harmful teachings that lead to and justify abuse with the hope that those that are experiencing abuse can find support and escape from it. All right. Are the rebels ready? Are the rebels ready? Uh, Give us a comment. If you're here, let us know where you're coming from. And if you have any guesses to who our mystery guest is, guess, Mm -hmm. our mystery guest. Yes. Yes. Um, (laughs) so yes. Um, if you notice my background is a little bit different, uh, we're in the process of moving. So, um, yeah, I was like, oh, I have an hour. Let me set up. I'll have plenty time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got, oh, my computer's doing a bios update. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Michelle from Ontario, Canada, our little Canadian friend. Love it. Love it. Love it. Okay. So uh, coming from the other room. Hi, honey. <laughs> um, are y'all ready for the mystery guess? Does anybody have any guess? Nobody who knows who it is can guess. <laughs> if you were told who it was, but if you guessed it from the thumbnail, you can, you can put it in that, in the comment. Uh, we have one of the survivors that was on the shiny happy people documentary. Come, Ah, brain cannot stop. It has to slow down. All right. So from the shiny, happy people documentary, um, to share with us his experience, uh, in the cult. Um, and I said his, so that narrows it down. (laughs) So please welcome arch radish or otherwise known as chad <laughs> well thank you close to you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's chad harris not alex harris there has been some confusion but uh yeah no uh definitely uh it's good to be here thank you for having me on today you're welcome you're coming. welcome yeah. yes <laughs> i'm so excited to have you here so uh chad loved your uh, ama from Alexandria. 
Ah, uh, yes, I did a um, AMA on Reddit on the Funny Stork Uncensored uh, subreddit, and it was a lot of fun, actually. Um, yeah, a lot of really good questions, a lot of deep personal questions, including mm. what my favorite food was, which uh, I did have to confess was tater tot casserole. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. That's the best. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, tater tot casserole. Okay, I'm gonna have to go check that out one day when I have time to read, which I never do. So, <laughs> same. Um, I didn't even read my responses, I just kind of you know started typing and hope for the best. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, so for those that are new here and or don't know you, um, why don't you kind of give a little summary of your cult experience brief? Run uh, yeah, <laughs> brief is a tall order, but I'll try. Uh, basically, yeah, basically, I was born in England, raised in Walker County, Alabama, lived in Belgium through my teen years, moved to Mississippi, and now I'm back in Alabama. So that's the shortest version of it. Somewhere in the middle of that, uh, from the time that uh, I lived in Alabama as a young kid, my parents uh, happened to... Um, Get caught up with an OBGYN who uh, convinced my mother to turn the number of children that she had over to the Lord uh, in her late 30s, early 40s, and gave her a book called A Full Quiver. And from there, they all decided to um, check out this uh, other guy, uh, Bill Gothard, who was coming to town doing a uh, doing a seminar because you know they were really interested in homeschooling. And I was coming of age at that point to be in school. You know, I was like uh, five or six years old at that point. Um, so they went to go check out the seminar and loved what they heard and really sought to be part of the ATI homeschooling, uh, movement, which, uh, we joined when I was about seven. Uh, my older brother was pulled out of a uh, Christian school, which he went to, to kind of reacclimate himself to the States. As I've said, you know, my folks had been overseas mm -hmm. up to that point. And, um, uh, part of the reason we joined up was because it was, uh, said to be good for both older and younger children alike. You know, all the family learning together. It was not. Uh, there were 10 years between me and my older brother, and the uh, wisdom booklets were not meant for, like, an elementary school kid. So uh, it was, yeah, it was not a great experience. Uh, there was a lot of abuse. There was a lot of educational neglect. Um, I was homeschooled. but I was the first fully homeschooled child in my family, and I was the only one to do entirely ATI all the way through from the time I was seven to the time I graduated. My younger siblings eventually moved on to other curriculum, but my folks kept me in that. Learned a lot of harmful teachings. Thankfully, never went to a training center or headquarters because at that point we had moved back overseas and it was too expensive. But I still learned a lot of the things that, uh, well, I know, and I'm, I'm glad I missed out on that, <laughs> to be very clear. Yeah. But, um, yeah, especially knowing what I know now. But um, yeah, I, but you see, my dad was an independent fundamental Baptist preacher slash missionary. And um, so in addition to, you know, the toxic teachings of IBLP and ATI, I also had to deal with the toxic teachings of Christian fundamentalism in general. And I didn't really fully leave all of that until about my mid twenties. And that was when I really started questioning. And especially, you know, with the allegations that came out uh, about Bill Gothard and so many other fundamentalist leaders, that was really the impetus for me to get out and start, you know, living life on my own terms. Yeah. So when y'all were overseas, what kind of church did y'all attend? So my dad was a missionary and he was trying to plant in independent fundamental Baptist churches in the Netherlands and Belgium. 
Yes, we were missionaries to two of the most Christianized, uh, affluent countries in the world. Because if you're going to be missionaries, why not suffer for Christ while doing it? <laughs> uh, so, uh, do spreading fundamentalism in um, in Belgium and the Netherlands was about as successful as you think it might be. In that we barely got anyone's attention at all, and it, the whole mission was, it, frankly, a failure. Mm-hmm. But um, we we had our own like little Bible studies. We mostly found success with the American military. Uh, there was like a small Air Force base that my dad uh, was like a volunteer auxiliary chaplain for uh, on the side. So we had a lot of friends from um, you know the states and everything who attended that. And uh, there were a couple of small Bible studies that my folks tried to grow into churches that didn't quite uh, shake out. So mm-hmm. it was um, it, it it was we we barely had anything that you could call like a real church that wasn't like maybe 15 people on a good day. Uh, We did have some other ATI friends though, that we mostly hung out with. There was a Canadian family down the road from us who had nine kids living with them. And there was a uh, American military family in Brussels uh, who had uh, four daughters who uh, we would all hang out together. And uh, we were the bad ATI family because we actually had a visible TV in our living room. Uh, But we only watched VHS tapes, so it was fine. That's funny. Um, It was when my parents were in IVLP with my two younger siblings. Like my my youngest sibling is 20 years younger than me. Mm. She was a reversal baby. And so um, we had the Nielsen rating system on our TV to try and like only watch the good shows. It was like VCR, 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 VCR was on our log. <laughs> it was a ministry, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to change the programming in the United States with those Nielsen ratings. <laughs> but but you know, it, it, it's interesting to me because this has come up quite a few times when I've talked to folks, you know, who said, oh, well, yeah, we were ATI, but we had a TV or we did this or, you know, like uh, some of the girls in our family wore pants and stuff. And I'm like... You know, the thing is, I think that was expected almost of IBLP because I feel like they they made the rules so that you could fail, is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Because if anything went wrong in your life, if you had like illness or if you had like anything that didn't fit the narrative of success that Gothard put in front of you, they could always find something to say, well, clearly you're having this problem because you're doing this, or clearly you're having this problem because you have a TV. Uh, didn't Gothard one time tell a woman that, you know, she lost her husband because she had a picture of a ship on her wall or something like, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. We were frequently told that at headquarters, it must be because you have a CD um, in your collection that has, mm-hmm. you know, some bad thing. I destroyed one one time for that same reason, because it was mostly like just a movie soundtrack. So it was mostly inter- instrumental. It was fine. But they have, you know, the one song at the beginning, the one song at the end that's done by an artist and that had ro- a rock beat in it, or it had an oldies in it that had a rock beat. And I was f- certain that that was what was causing whatever. I don't even remember what issue I was having. But I was certain. And that's why I destroyed the CD and then I confessed it to Mr. Authored and got rid of it. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You'll love this one. So I was talking to somebody and their family member and their family member had been talking about me, apparently, to them. Um, not going to disclose any names, but apparently I 
one of my children has been struggling for the last two years, really, really, really difficult struggles. Um, and their, I guess, explanation to this other family member was that it's because that when I came home from headquarters, I, um, I didn't fulfill my vow that I had made at the counseling seminar. And I was oh. like, I told the, the family member I was speaking to, I'm like, so a vow I made under the teaching of a pedophile is why my son is struggling, not his abusive father. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. But, but that, that was the game. Like, you know, if you were, if you were one of the underlings, if you were the people that were actually doing the work, you were propping up this ministry, you were putting in all this labor, you were putting in all this time to try to promote it and to follow it. You know, if anything went wrong, it was because it was your fault and they would find something to use against you. But look at what happened if Gothard himself or his brother or anyone higher up, if they ever had, you know, anything revealed about them or if they had anything go wrong in their lives. Well, that was clearly an attack on Satan and it didn't count or attack from Satan and it didn't count. So yeah, it, was, it wasn't the ice it was cream a, sandwiches. Yeah. It wasn't the ice cream sandwiches that he kept in clear violation of the dietary laws. It was <laughs> the fact that, you know, he was a man of God who uh, who got attacked by Satan. And it just showed you it was yet another example of, you know, the hierarchy. Like, you know, the, yeah. the authority structure was there to protect the people in authority. Oh, know, and they for used sure. It yeah. Because, uh, I mean, how could the leader ever have anything that he needs to confess and, you know, do anything wrong. I mean, according to his own statement, he was just acting like a grandfather to all these children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. I had a grandfather like that, too. Well, not exactly like that, but yeah. Gross, yeah. <laughs> I, think, I think that's why when I was at headquarters, it just really set off the alarm bells when I saw the late night counseling sessions with young girls. And I was just like that is so not right. And I was like, I don't even know what to say to who, if they would listen to me. Like I already kind of knew that if I said anything, I'd probably be sent home. And then, so it was like, it was really weird um, coming from the military. And that's, I wanted to say that like the military, I get that because it's very rigid and very rule oriented and you know what to expect in the military. And so it wasn't that far of a jump to go into a cult. <laughs> yep. So. Absolutely. And you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, uh, did who you could talk to and, and what have you like, you know, mm -hmm. who watches the Gothard and this stuff. I 100% believe that the board and everyone knew, like, how could they oh, not? Yes. Well, you know, it's, they it, not? Yeah. The, I, I didn't enjoy Ginger's book whatsoever. Don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, uh, I, I, I read it not too long ago, but one passage that really stuck out to me was where she talked about her, her and her sisters, you know, pretending to be Gothard girls by putting okay. wigs on and stuff like that. If they knew, you know, people higher up knew. And if it oh, was such a sure. widespread joke. Yeah. It's, mm -hmm. it's just like, uh, it, it, to me, it's just a damning indication mm -hmm. that, you know, the adults in the room, you know, either drop the ball or were so focused on protecting the power structure that they were willing to sacrifice innocent children to do it. And that's just gross. It's disgusting. It is just gross. Yeah, it was well known. Everybody knew it at headquarters. Every single person. It was joked about. It was a common joke that went around. Everybody knew. Um, and yeah, 
So the, the, the higher ups knew too. <laughs> yeah. And I can also say, because there were, there were several instances where I was asked to assist as a house leader with the girls that were having those late night um, meetings with Mr. Gothard. And so it had been a concern with the leadership that they were being kept so late. So, um, so we were told to go get them. So they knew, they knew it was a problem. They were trying to fix the problem without without angering Mr. Gothard and getting people getting in trouble themselves or, you know, getting other people in trouble. It was almost like a power struggle with that to pull the girls at the wrong time. But we were told to do it anyway. So it they they knew they were working around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. the thing is, like, if they would have tried to, you know, form a coup and get Bill Gothard out, he would have thrown a hissy fit. And he would have probably sent them all home and they would have no livelihood because all the, the families that were up there, all the head, you know, directors and everything, they lived there off of Bill Gothard. So it's like, it's just like any other, you know, member who is wholly dependent on there to be able to get out of it is a huge sacrifice and trying to do it with, you know, little to no interruption to your life would not be possible you'd have to be willing to, to lose everything. And I don't yep. think well, anybody and, there was willing. No. And he had cleaned house before. So it, it was not unlike him to, to get rid of multiple people at the same time. So if you, you know, even if you formed a group that, that was no safety there at all, because they, he, he had done that before. Like he had no problem with that at all. He could get another voluntary family that would have been thrilled and honored to come and fill those shoes and he didn't care how much experience you had <laughs> and gary no. that's not was never a concern so um yeah there was many of many more people to fill those shoes outside of maybe some of the very specific professions like the printers um that did that ran the printing presses and things like that that took um a really high level of training and skill that he had to have and those people had been there for like 20 years so that those would have been the only ones that might have given him a second thought, you know, a, a pause, but anybody else now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I know. It's just those, crazy. Those printed materials were pretty important because that's what spread the lies. So. Had to keep that's those why, going. That's why he had to have his own printing press and own staff so he could do it for pennies. Yes. Yes. It's amazing what you can do with a lot of expendable labor, but you know, um, my, my, I, I went up to headquarters with uh, Lindsay um, Williams from the documentary. Uh, we were actually able to go inside, as it were, and uh, kind of inside. <clears throat> yeah, we, oh. we we went inside, and uh, we um, we actually um, got permission to do so somehow. It was it, it was quite bizarre how it all happened, but you know, it, right now, if if you if you saw headquarters today, and I, I don't know if you have. But just in the few years that it's been largely abandoned, all those big gaudy buildings have crumbling flakes of paint just falling off of them right now. Uh, some of the windows have been shattered in some of the buildings. There's a water main break in like the main offices, and those buildings are uninhabitable right now. Um, there's just wow. there's just so much like it's just falling apart so quickly that it, it just makes me wonder how much of this was done how much of this was being kept up basically by people who were paid nothing or next to nothing um you know and without it like you know none of this all could of have it. been maintained <laughs> all exactly of it. all of it all was of it was because lizzie was telling me mm -hmm. yeah 
Lindsay was telling me, like, you know, that there would be people out there making it look pretty or maintaining it 24-7, like, always trying to keep it up. And it must have been, like, you know, to get by so cheap and everything, it must have been, like, as soon as as soon as soon they stopped, it all immediately just started, you know, deteriorating. And it's just... Well, the other thing is, yeah. is that most of the buildings, from what I've heard from other people who have been there, like, on new building sites, it was this dog and pony show of get the very entrance beautiful and and then everything else behind it is falling to pieces so some of that could have been you know the paint was holding it together (laughs) it looked like it in some places (laughs) yeah my brother was on a construction crew for um quite a while and it was literally that they would paint the outside make it look nice but everything else was um was just spit and twine to keep it together so it doesn't surprise me at all that it's falling apart because it was probably already falling apart a long time ago. <laughs> I just had a mental function. image. I just had a mental image of like a whitewashed tomb for some reason. I'm not sure yeah. why. Uh, <laughs> with with That's a exactly red what it was. leading up to it. And mm-hmm. in it. I was in it. Like, that, was, to it. Yeah. that was some plush red carpet up in there. I'm just gonna tell you right now. <laughs> so Flint, where they show those pictures on the on the series, um, I was there when they when they had gotten the building, and then I was there when they um redid the whole thing. And that is literally what happened. They did they did the entryway and everything in the front so that when you came in it looked beautiful. But everything else was junky and everything else had serious level problems. And any any rooms that we we had to pick the floor that we put the Verity students on by which ones functioned and had wow. decent bathrooms th- so that we could have a boy floor and a girl floor to put our students in. So I helped start Verity so that, that we had to pick those, you know, according to what functioned. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Pardon my French, but uh, character hotel, my ass. But anyway. Yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, so, it, it's just, if that's character, I mean, your, your, your entire operation's not great. It's historical yeah. character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, so we did have one question. Uh, Alexandra said, I understand that Gothard still wields power and his teachings are still integral to the current IBLP, but is he actively oh, is he just... actively involved now? Yeah, I think yeah, I think you... D dropped. Okay, you're back. Yeah, Deidre, yeah. you dropped for a moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um Who wants to answer so, that question? <laughs> I, I mean, think sure, you no. would have the most accurate answer, Marcy, because you were there for so I think for in headquarters and worked very closely to Mr. Gothard to be able to answer that the most accurate. Well, I don't I don't know that I know current things. I don't think that um he's you know obviously been removed and doesn't have um influence in that way, but I based on past things i can pretty much say that i would not believe that that he doesn't have influence in it at all right now i don't believe that at all um i think that he probably has his fingers in lots of different things just behind the scenes so So i've been keeping up with it pretty close yeah yeah i've been keeping up with it pretty close myself I, i think you're right like um so he constantly has been posting over the past year or so that he will be reinstated uh, as head of IBLP at some point, which is... Wasn't, wasn't that what he said in, like, 2016? 
Right. Yeah. And he's like just any day now, apparently, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he's going to be reinstated and everybody, it'll be a whole <laughs> misunderstanding. He has led a lawsuit against IBLP, which last mm-hmm. I checked and I have asked, you know, some lawyer types to look at it, but last I checked as of 2020 is still active. Like, uh, it had been dismissed, but then a higher court sent it back saying, no, actually you have to consider some things. He is suing to try to keep, um, the property from being sold off, or at least if it is sold, that he gets some of the profits because, in his opinion, that property was gifted to him, not the ministry as an entity. Um, or and or the ministry was only there to promote his teachings, therefore he should derive some of the profits from it uh, so somehow. I that um, I don't remember when it was. I was looking up some of his court documents, and he did sue sue IBLP to try and retain the rights to his material. And he lost. Yep. And yeah, he lost why, that one. Yeah, that's why he wrote forty new books. Which <laughs> yep. Presentation of what he already wrote because he couldn't make any money off of what was in IBLP, so he mm-hmm. needed some new material. But through various means, yeah. I've talked to some people uh, who are involved with uh, IBLP and you know formerly ATI, and they still carry a very high opinion of them. The party line seems to be that he did nothing wrong. Um, he was completely exonerated by the dropping of the lawsuit, according to them, and um, and also that he uh, is doing his own ministry now and just didn't want to be a distraction, so he voluntarily resigned. Meanwhile, literally everything else Bill Gothard is doing is you know showing um, is showing that you know he's at least delusionally thinking that he's going to be back in at some point. So and that's the real why he truth stood up at Big Sandy and got. Yep. Yeah, because he's just gonna step away. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So the so it appears to be, you know, that you know his teachings are still very influential and IBLP still wants to make money off of what he did, but like in an official capacity, they want to distance themselves from him just enough. Even though there are still some people who are still who still have a very high opinion of him involved. What it seems to me ultimately is that IBLP is in a state of confusion and panic, and they, uh, and, and you know, they're a little unclear as to the way forward. I don't know if you checked out their websites lately, but they have been doing a really interesting job of rebranding a lot of things to where IBLP is being kept in small letters at the bottom of the page. They shrunk their logo down. They're promoting their individual activities more so than the ministry itself. It's very interesting to watch their moves at this point. Yeah. The, the basic seminar is now some other kind of name. I forget what it's called. Affirmations from scripture or some, so yeah. by the way, can, can they pick more boring names? Like they've always had boring <laughs> names. <laughs> always boring names. Yes. And weird acronyms. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Yeah. There, there yeah. you go. There's the military thing too. You know, you just just trade one acronym for the other. You know, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was gonna say something. I was thinking of something while you were talking. Um, so I know that. Um, it just seems like they're trying to distance themselves from his name. Yeah. And maybe not actually him himself. You know, but but the thing that in, that's interesting to me is I don't know if he would go for some of these changes if he did have input because I think Bill Gothard thinks that IBLP is Bill Gothard and Bill Gothard is IBLP. So Mm -hmm. to change any of that is to hide him 
away, which I don't think he would go for. Yeah, that's a good point. Cause I don't think he would go for that either. That's, that is not uh, typical of a classic narcissist that we're seeing function here. And so I don't think that he would go for that. <laughs> yeah. No. So um, I, I would, I would be surprised if he doesn't make some kind of statement soon, if not, you know, if he's, or have his assistant do it. So, well, I mean, he I, has made a few statements on Twitter, which are hilarious <laughs> to read, frankly, uh, in a very, he clearly did not write this way. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he, uh, I think his response, like his first response, he was like, um, well, I, it couldn't have been all bad. Look at all the people I helped, which, you know, kind of translates to, you know, look at all the young women I didn't uh, harass, you know, like it's, <laughs> yeah, I don't know million. what he's trying to prove there. <laughs> I helped look at the women million. that weren't my type that I didn't do. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Uh, I was like, yes, I'm one of the three million and I have all of the PTSD to go with it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, we have a question. Hi, down the rabbit hole. I am so glad that you joined us. I love your channel. So uh, keep up the good work. And thanks for doing the uh, synopsis of the Shiny Happy People episodes. I think that's really helpful for people who are leery um, as survivors. So I appreciate that. So um, she says, I have a question for all of you. Can you talk at all about how males can be abused or put in difficult situations within the patriarchal system versus abuse only happening to females? Which I love this question because there's a lot of female voices out there saying how we were treated in the cult. But we also know that there was a lot of abuse when it comes to the boys and uh, men. And, you know, my other thing is like, what was your teaching like when it came to your role as a male in this cult and how, when you became an adult in relationships and I don't know, you know, where you are in your relationship status or whatever, but like, how did that affect you coming out of the cult and in the cult? And like, what was your, I guess, experience with those teachings as a male? Yeah, and, and I do want to preface this by saying, you know, like you were saying, there are a lot of uh, women's voices out there, and I feel like they should always be centered in this conversation, because ultimately the cult was designed to hurt women more, and it certainly did. And I feel Thank like, yeah, yeah, seriously, I, I feel like that, that should always be front and center. I don't want anything I say here to ever be construed as, well, the guys had it just as rough or anything. No, we did not, okay? <laughs> and And the abuse I'm talking about, this is the abuse that comes from a point of, you know, privilege and power that we were given just mm -hmm. by our birth as males or assigned male at birth. So just putting that out there before I start, just so we're very clear, uh, this is not a sob story about how, you know, how we had it just as bad or worse, because that will never happen. But what did happen, and I can definitely say this from my perspective, as someone who uh, is born male, uh, I am a, you know, I'm a straight male who doesn't have all the trappings of a masculine, hyper, you know, must have all the power person. I've never been an outdoorsy type, never had much of an interest in athletics or sports. I, you know, our folks bought a Commodore 64 128 computer at one point, and I fell in love with that immediately. And that's been my thing. It was not looked very well upon in ATI circles because, you know, I was supposed to be out there learning how to be a warrior for God. I was 
you know, constantly told that the name Chad was supposed to be warlike, defender of the Lord, right? Mm. So, um, so that was the whole, uh, that was the expectation that was placed on me. And nowhere was that shown to be more of an expectation than alert cadet, uh, which I did back in Knoxville 97. Um, that year was the worst three days of my life in which I was put through all these physical challenges that I'd never done before. And frankly, I had bad knees at the time as a kid. Uh, I could barely keep up with the, you know, double time marching, much less, you know, pushups or anything like that. And I failed at literally everything they put me in front of. Um, I, you know, failed the obstacle course. I fell off the zip line tower, landed on my back. I got stuck on the climbing wall. Um, I, you know, didn't do orienteering correctly. I fainted on the rappelling tower. Um, mm. I was told constantly, like, you know, this kid can't do nothing. And I still remember that guy who said it to this day. And, you know, this happened uh, during my birthday. I turned 12 um, mm. during this time. Like, the second day of Alert Cadet was my 12th birthday. My dad took me out after, because I begged him after the first day, do not let me go back there. I'll sit in the, you know, boring seminars. I'll listen to the preachers. I don't care. I just don't want to do that anymore. So on the second day, which they made me do anyway, dad took me out uh, for my birthday that evening. We skipped a few of the, you know, sessions or whatever. And um, he took me out for ice cream and a heart-to-heart talk where he told me, well, son, the, pro- the reason you're having these problems is I failed as a father to raise you to be manly enough. There will come a time where Christians will all have to be, you know, like they're going to come into your home and make you make a stand for Christ or perhaps execute you. And you you need to be manly enough to stand up to that. When I'm 12, okay? So so he said, you know, so he said, the, the reason you're having uh, this issue is because you're not spiritually ready to be a man. And we need to get you there because, you know, teenagerhood is a myth. You'll be a man next year when you're 13. So... So basically, like his whole birthday pep talk was you're not enough. And that was the recurring theme that I think a lot of uh, kids in my situation took to heart. Like if Mm -hmm. you didn't fit their ideal, you were not enough. Now, you can go one of two ways on that. You could take this ideal that you're supposed to be this manly warrior defender authority of the family and run with it and pretend to be that or internalize it to the point where you become a complete jerk and an abuser. Or you can just play along enough to where you fly under the radar and until you can get out of there and figure things out for yourself. And personally, the whole idea that I was supposed to be like some authority of a family and everything was supposed to be under my rule and stuff like that just sounded like a lot of work that I didn't ask for. (laughs) I was just like, I didn't sign up for this. I I was just born, you know, like, like, I, I, I like to play on computers and I don't know what else to tell you. But um, but yeah, it, it, it just always made me fearful because, you know, d- dad made it a huge point, especially, you know, during the abusive beatings and everything. He would tell me that it was his duty as a father to do this because he had to stand before the Lord and talk to him about why, you know, he did or didn't discipline in certain ways. Uh, and to for me to think about having to do that to a child later was just horrific. And I'm like, why am I signed up for this? Like this, you know, that doesn't make sense to me. So yeah, it, it, it really messed with you because, you know, it gave you this in, in several ways, the idea of this toxic masculinity that you had to embody poisoned everything it poisoned 
you know, the minds on some level of everyone who is exposed to it, who were, who were male, assigned male at birth, expected to be male, what have you. And it also poisoned it for, you know, the young women who were, you know, brought up in this as well in other various horrific ways that were far worse. But for us, it was very damaging. And even the ones who, you know, have grown out of it and, you know, left it behind and said, well, that was a part of my past. I don't really deal with that anymore. I guarantee you if, you know, and, and I encourage anyone, if you've been through ATI at some point, at least see a therapist, you know, because I guarantee you there's some stuff that you probably haven't dealt with. I know with me, it manifested as panic attacks that would not stop until I went and saw one and started my journey of healing. And I would encourage folks like, please just do do the work, at least, you know, go, go see if there's anything that you need to um, need to unpack, find a good trauma informed therapist and, you know, tell them, you know, that, that you're an IBLP ATI and this toxic uh, environment. And yeah, I mean, I, I guarantee you there will be something that, that you're holding on to that, you know, you need to let go of. I, and I still have it to this day. Like it's been an ongoing process for me. I would agree with yeah. you there. Um, the So I had talked with someone not too long ago that, and I won't say names, but um, they weren't raised in it like I was, like, because I was five when we got into our six, raised through high school and then got out in my mid-20s. So kind of like you. Um, but this person had didn't really live it. They got at the tail end of it, maybe at seven, um, but, and then it was done. They weren't in ATI, but after that, but the, the ideas and the family um, structure and the family teachings were all from ATI. Even if they weren't in it, they were the family structure was still uh, very much ATI and all those teachings, right? Mm-hmm. And so it was assumed that they really didn't get inundated with it as much, that, that, that maybe the ATI hadn't affected them as much. But in adulthood, they realized in therapy that that it, they really did that just just simply because the family had those teachings in the past and because they were still using some of those teachings to run the family even the dregs of it were still damaging to that child so and they and it still had to be unpacked by a counselor so even if you get just a small portion of it even if you weren't you didn't do the wisdom booklets every day and you weren't in it you didn't go to the training centers you didn't didn't do all those things even just family structure training um of a family that had been in it before can still have poisonous and adult life affecting things in it and the, I hadn't ever thought of it that way because I, w- I was coming from the perspective of being, you know, just entrenched in it. But it really does. It it really affects even in small portions. <laughs> and it's it's still affecting their adult life to this day. So, yeah, get find a therapist. <laughs> and that's how, how they figured it out was that they were at a therapist and the therapist said, you know, you should look into you should look into this um, training or this um cult type of stuff that we could work through this and work with you on it. And the therapist didn't have any idea that, that the family had that background, but she nailed it. She nailed it on the head. <laughs> she, she saw it. <laughs> so my therapist did the exact same thing. Like, you know, I, I first went to her because of relationship problems. I'd had issues, you know, I, I couldn't figure out what was the correct way to have a relationship when I, when I left, I, I still, 
you know, I still went out with some girls who did the uh, courtship thing. I still did, uh, you know, dating with a purpose and stuff like that. And it kept failing miserably over and over. And of course, you know, that internalized, I've given a piece of my heart away. Therefore, I am somehow not whole. You know, that really stuck with me. So I went to go see a counselor. And I was just like, look, I feel like, you know, I'm messing up something or there's something I'm fundamentally not understanding here. And she spent the first three sessions asking about family relationships, how I grew up, what school was like for me and such. And I started answering these questions. And it, about the third session, I was just like, why is she so focused on my early childhood? And about the fourth session, she said, look, I'm just going to lay it all out for you. Have you. Do you know what a high control organization is? <laughs> like, um, enlighten me. She, she said, I've never heard of this IBLP or ATI organization you talked about, but she said, I've heard of a lot of similar things. Here are some of the characteristics. And that's when the light switched on. I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, like, mm -hmm. this is bad. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And that was about the time all the stuff started coming out about Bill Gothard as well. And it just all made sense at the same time. Mm -hmm. I was just like, well, you got to be kidding me, you know, like because <laughs> when you're a kid, you don't know anything else. That's your normal. You don't. That's what you're expected <laughs> yeah. to do in order to, you know, have the love and acceptance and the shelter from your parents that you want and need as a child. So, you know, when you get out on your own and, you know, that stuff does not work in the real world, I swear to you, IDLP did not train you to do anything in the real world. They taught you yeah. no skills. They taught you no, um, no character stuff that would help you in, in, in any discernible way. They just taught you how to be, you know, dependent on Bill Gothard and his lackeys. And, you know, always look for some abusive authority to tell you what to do. Mm -hmm. And yeah. getting over that was just a huge hurdle. But realizing it was a huge light bulb. Mm -hmm. I don't think I called it a cult. I don't think I could come. I, I had my suspicions. But I could never say the words or admit it to myself until I saw a therapist. And then I was able, she was able to validate what I already kind of knew in the back of my mind, but didn't want to uh, confront even, or just say that I had been in one um, until she was able to bring those things up. And then I was able to say, okay, it was, it was a cult. And, and I did live through that and the, and the teachings were wrong and there weren't a few pieces that were good. Yeah. And, you know, and it was the therapist that brought that out for me as well. I don't even remember like when it was that I like realized it was a cult like I it may have been my brother like my brother was part of the homeschoolers anonymous website oh. um and so he um he was part of that you know kind of thing when um recovering grace came out as well like people were sharing their stories about their homeschool experience and stuff um and so that kind of like opened the door for for me um, and then when I left my ex-husband, we were in the IFB, um, when we met and that really kind of like, I was in the IFB for a little while longer and it was like, you know what? <laughs> I just can't do it. I can't be mom to three small children. I can't work full time and go to church three days a week and clean my house and cook all by myself. Like, it's just not possible. So I just stopped going after a while and the pastor was like, oh, we'll, we'll praying for you. And I'm like, okay. Sorry, my dog's barking. I'm giving you um, absolutely no practical support. 
no, no, not like, what can we do for you? And, oh, we're going to come get the boys and we're going to play basketball with them. Never happened, you know? And it was like, oh God, I could get a break. You know, I could get some work done or I could clean my house or I could cook, you know, that'd be great. No, never happened. I'd like to uh, read a couple of comments and just kind of catch up on the comments a little bit. Um, Down the rabbit hole said, reminds me of some of what you always hear about Scientology. I want to do a side-by-side comparison to IBLC yes. and Scientology that is in the, the mind ideas. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers, um, the training centers are Sea Org. Anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, exactly. Um, I saw an interview at Gothard's driveway in Illinois. He is an old feeble man. I yeah. can't imagine him having power. Now, he's been an old feeble man for a very long time. His power is not in his physical prowess or his size or his ability to overpower anyone physically. It is all in his head. That being said, did you see the video? Mm -mm. Oh yeah, the, I'll I'll send it to you afterwards. He, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's interesting. Like you said, even that power seems to be diminishing a little bit, though. Okay, like yeah, that's good. That's yeah. good. <laughs> good. <laughs> I'm just glad that he's alive to see all of this. Um, RM Kansas says, I went to Institute and Basic Youth Conflict Seminar when I was in high school. I still have all the materials from it. Lucky my parents didn't follow his teachings. You were very lucky. So um, let's see what else we got. Um, let's see. Only 12. Yeah, for your alert story. Um, that was terrible. Yeah, so sad. Uh, Michelle says, but I get it. Pre-Excel and commit in Knoxville made me feel not enough around the same age. I think that is a common theme, whether you're male or female. It's always been yeah. you're not enough. Whether, not it, enough. you know, you're yeah. not fitting in the mold, you know. Um, you're still a kid. Oh, yeah. I mean, but IBLP, once you're 13, there is, it's kind of like Scientology. Like, there is no childhood. You're just a person. So um, you are an overcomer. You're awesome. And you're enough. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, real, real quick. Let me ask y'all. Uh, did y'all's churches ever do like dedication ceremonies to any male children who came of age of like, you know, 12, 13 ish? Mm -mm. Not that My I church didn't, them. but we had friends that did do that kind of like a bar mitzvah. Yeah, yeah. we did that yeah. too. And there were, there were pseudo ones for us. Um, like, at certain ages, girls um, signed a courtship agreement with the father and got their courtship ring um, to promise that they would yeah. not do it any other way um, and kind of tied them into that. Um, I don't remember if they did anything with the boys in a similar way, but um, that was more about keeping your daughter's pure and virginity and all that. But um, they did. Yeah, there were multiple families in our church that did do something similar. Did you? Uh, yes. Um, yeah, we had a dedication ceremony right before we moved to Europe. Uh, and it was this whole, you know, like, in retrospect, very odd ceremony where um, I was dedicated to manhood or something. And, you know, they had some people like write poems or statements about, you know, what was expected of me going forward and stuff and had me kneel down at the altar and have the men of the church lay their hands on my head or something. It was really weird uh, in, in hindsight. Uh, it, 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 it just felt like, you know, like you said, it felt like something that was appropriated, like a bar mitzvah and everything just, uh, but also it felt like 
you know, I was being tasked with all this responsibility that again, I didn't ask for, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure things out. I'm still, you know, still hitting puberty and all that sort of thing. It's just like, I've got enough <laughs> yeah. to worry about right now without having to worry about how to, how to be a manly man for Jesus or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. Right. I often wondered at headquarters when they would make such a big deal about the courtship and cause that was a big deal. Cause we were all of a of very close to marriageable age. And it was also big that everybody could meet everybody else. There was lots of matches that were made at headquarters, right. But they were never allowed there. And so um, I often wondered they, the men were, uh, the boys were expected to have like some sort of livelihood to support this family and be this, you know, powerhouse of protection and warrior or whatever. And, and I remember thinking, how are they supposed to possibly supposed to be able to do this? Like even as a teenager, even as 17 or 18 or 22, if they've been serving at headquarters for all this time, Mm -hmm. because they've been serving at headquarters, they don't have any skills. They don't have a job. They don't, but, and yet they're meeting these people here at headquarters and they're expected to go home and be able to be the kind of husband that, and you know, family figure like that. How are they supposed to do that? And what a lot of responsibility, but I can't, I didn't realize that they did that to you all at 12. And that makes my heart so sad because that's way too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were almost like, I wasn't in it at that age. I was 18 when I joined um, and I was actually going into the military. So I went into the military. I was there for four years and then I got out. And then a year later, I think I went to headquarters. So I was, you know, I was a backsliding heathen, you know, and then I got right. And we share it in our stories that Marcy was like, I was a project case when I came to the headquarters. <laughs> I believe they call those leaders in training. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> something like they that. do LITs, LITs, oh, leaders in training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was like that your was security code. case. <laughs> that, yes, it was code. And I was like, that's why I felt like I wasn't really a part of this place. I was just an outsider being helped. Well, okay. Yeah. That that was the the bad side of the gossip at, at training centers and headquarters and things like that because everybody everybody had a friend that was in in, you know, whatever department that knew when people were coming in and then the first question out of everybody's mouth is are they in LIT? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, they are. Okay. Well, you know. Yeah. They'll be in the kitchen or whatever. Mm. Yep. That's where I went. So um, I had, this was a really good question, Alexandra. Okay. I've always uh, wondered about this. Lots of IBLP employees and some in public facing roles are not traditionally masculine. Many are artistic and soft-spoken. How does the organization, the organization square that? You're a failure. Mm. (laughs) I don't. I think the key word there is public facing because you know, you don't see what happens behind closed doors. My dad was a pretty soft-spoken fella, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, when it came time to apply the Board of Education, as he so yuckily mm-hmm. called it, uh, mm-hmm. it was a different story. You know, there was yeah. a lot of pent-up frustration. And understand, too, like two of Bill Gothard's biggest influences were uh, Charlie Tremendous Jones and Dale Carnegie. You know, like that whole idea of having to put forward that smiling, you know, public facing face and make everything look, you know, that whole shiny, happy people thing, you know, that was one of the selling points. We were supposed to be bright, shining cities on a hill that could not be hid and a candle that isn't put under a bushel, you know? Right. It's that outward outward appearance. It's if you're, Mm -hmm. if you look on the outside, it doesn't matter what happens on the inside. 
right. and that includes inside your doors. So as long as you present to the public that you're an upstanding Christian, what you do inside where nobody's looking doesn't matter, which is just quid pro quo or whatever. Like that's just like, I just consider like all of his material an abuse manual. So, and grooming material. So it's basically, we were, all the men were taught how to groom and abuse and all the women were taught how to accept it. That's kind of how I see it. So. Um, let's see. Oh, hey, P35 Flash. Seeing the a real psychologist after the IBLP experience is very enlightening. Absolutely. Absolutely. The keyword is a real one. Because, yes. <laughs> because so many times when I said that I need to see a, a therapist or I need to see a counselor or whatever, I was sent to an elder in the church or the or the elder's wife because you know i'm a woman and so his wife would do the counseling and they were not certified they were not trained it was only just because they held a high standing position in the church don't do that don't do that go to a licensed professional <laughs> so well, also, um, i'm sorry uh soon um it's in the process of being um edited right now we are going to have a video that I am going to put out within probably the next one to eight months. I don't know. Um, <laughs> uh, my son's been helping me. It's been a slow process, but uh, we had a therapist on and it, we recorded this back like in August last year when Marcy came to town um, and we talked about, you know, what to look for in a therapist, you know, what questions to ask. Um, and so I'm, I'm really hoping that I can get that out soon because I think it's very, 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 um, I guess time for that right now, because a lot of people with the docuseries have had a lot of trauma come up that they thought they were done with. So I had the same experience, which segues me into another question, but I want to read this comment real quick uh sherry says chad thank you for opening up about your experience trauma when you said that small voice that says this isn't right listen to it i cried when you said that i told my mom and dad this when i told my mom and dad this when i i, I guess when you were beat i don't not sure um but yeah i mean um that was some of those statements in that last um episode i mean just like whoo, lindsay when she was like this is the life that i made and then she lost it i have chills right now just thinking about it um yeah it's it is amazing to look back to see where you came from and you know a lot of our my peers y'all included grew up in it and i didn't and i and it was weird for me as an adult with people who had grown up their whole lives in it and you know it's like oh man they had the chance to be a godly person their whole lives right you know um and i kind of felt you know but i missed out on something looking back i'm very thankful and grateful and i think i didn't stay very long at headquarters because of some of the red flags that i saw and it kind of helped me move away from it. I went right in back into the IFB, but um, it just kind of all was part of that domino effect that eventually got me out of an abusive relationship. So 
just being able to have that experience as a real person in the real world, <laughs> you know, breaks the illusion very quickly, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you see past the you know exterior, as it were, all that gaudy stuff that is falling apart on the inside. I wanted to add something to what Sherry was saying too about the uh, small voice that says it isn't right. And this is something I think, you know, goes a little bit more toward people who grew up in IBLP itself. You know, so as, as all of you knew, like demons were everywhere growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was taught that those doubts and those, you know, thoughts that we had were of a demonic nature. Um, There was a song we sang in alert cadet that year that I still remember like every word to this day. Uh, for our weapons are not carnal, nor our war with flesh and blood, but to tear down Satan's strongholds, we are mighty through our God, casting down imaginations that rise up against his hand, boldly bringing to subjection every thought to his command. And one of the things that IBLP taught you more than anything was that your own mind could not be trusted. Yes. Your own thoughts could not be trusted. At any point, they could be subject to Satan's strongholds in your life, that whole checkerboard thing that they showed in the documentary. I'm glad they showed that because that was what was on my mind 24 seven. Can I trust this thought? You know, I I had like these little prayers I would throw up anytime I would, you know, have a thought that, you know, I thought could get me struck by lightning or whatever. I'm like, Oh God, please forgive me for thinking that, you know, and that is how you make a paranoid child. So when I say, you know, when you have that little voice in your head that says, this is wrong, this is not right. Mm -hmm. You know, I really want to emphasize if you're coming out of IBLP or ATI, that's not demons. That's you. That is your self-preservation. That's your sense of self mm-hmm. saying, I need out of this. And that is what you need to hold on to in order to survive. Trust, learning to trust, trust your instincts. And, mm-hmm. you know, that was something, I mean, like when I was growing up, I was, I was always in trouble. I was undiagnosed ADHD. I had anxiety. My mom was super controlling could never do anything right. I felt like a failure everywhere I turned. Um, I even was like, why should I try? And I just wouldn't follow the rules because it didn't matter. I got in trouble if I tried anyway. So it was not, wasn't worth the effort. So I just was like, screw it. I want to do what I want to do. I'm going to get in trouble anyway. So might as well have fun while I'm doing it. So um, I feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like I was constantly told, even before we were in IBLP, that I don't have good decision making. And so IBLP just doubled down on that. And when I was in my marriage and I was like, this is weird. I would call my sister. I'm like, Hey, is this normal? Like, do, do husbands do this? Like, this just doesn't seem right. And you know, she's like, I wouldn't put up with that. And I was like, okay. I mean, she was a Christian and she was, you know, not as fundamental, but she was, you know, really strong in her faith. And I was like, Hmm, that's interesting. You know, and then I think it was finally her that gave me a list of, you know, like abusive traits in a relationship. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm being abused. Hmm. Yeah. Or my kids. Damn it. <laughs> but you so, still have that sense of self, though, that, you know, let you know initially, yeah, something was wrong. Well, and I, mm-hmm. I thought I was going insane because of the gaslighting, because, you know, Like, I was like, that just doesn't seem right. And, oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm the head of the household and I'm going to make the decision. And, you know, it's, this is what I think we should do. And I'm like, this doesn't seem right, but okay, I guess I have to go along with it. I mean, it was like so oppressive for me being a very independent person 
to have to constantly swallow my thoughts. I also want to say that even after being out so long, and this is, mm-hmm. I got out in 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I still battle with trusting myself and my inner voice. I'm much better at it now. And, and sometimes I have to fight to, to, to do it. Like I know my inner voice. I know it. I know that it's right. And I know that I should follow it. And I know it's trustworthy because it's been right in the past, but I still have to say to myself loud, it is okay to follow my gut. And I'm going to follow my gut, even though um, a voice in the back of my head from the past is telling me this is probably not a good idea, (laughs) you know, or you might, you know, get shot by lightning to choose. I have to choose to do it and, Mm -hmm. and say, no, I'm not going to listen to that lie anymore. I'm going to step forward and listen to my gut. And so it's still there. It's still there. And chances are, (laughs) if you make a bad decision, you can just pivot and change yeah. Yeah. Oh, well it's that fixable. was the wrong decision you're not necessarily <laughs> going to die i mean like if you drive yes. your car off a cliff maybe but you know like if you decide to you know spend 35 dollars instead of saving it but importantly though them. importantly though did you pray ahead your protection around that car before you drove it off a cliff i mean <laughs> <laughs> You saw that face, right? I was like, yeah. <laughs> the magical and I think, <laughs> I think Protected it's so by awesome shrubbery. That, <laughs> yes. I think it's so awesome that you said you had a specific prayer that you would shoot up if you had a bad thought, because I did that exact same thing. I can still quote it to you. I won't, but the, 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 I did the same thing. And every prayer that like, if they told us to do Bible studies or whatever, I started every single prayer by myself with that. It was like a quoted thing. I just had to state it to make sure that I was all covered. (laughs) And then you get that lovely little nagging thought of, is this a vain repetition? But yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And at this point, I said, I don't care. As long as I'm covered and I know that I'm forgiven, I'm good. Like, because honestly, once in a while, so it's not, you know, repetitive, right? Yeah. Yeah. They move the words around. Yeah. But 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 that was the thing. Like they taught us that you know God was some divine force that was playing gotcha, like just mm-hmm. waiting for any moment for us to screw up so you know we can get like some kind of punishment. And I it was just to, yeah, yeah. I have to get that book. It was a lamplighter book. Do y'all did y'all read lamplighter books? It sounds familiar. And it was a story about two kids, and they had like a rose bush around their house, and it was graphic and just crazy and it related this hedge of protection to the hedge of protection and this kid went through it and like lost an eye and i don't know like i don't remember exactly but it was like really graphic and i was like wow you know and i was like i don't want to end up like that and i was an adult and i was like i better capture all my thoughts and give them to jesus i don't know it was it was just really bizarre how some of those books like obviously they picked them for a reason but you know just almost every story that they published was like like that there was some kind of there was some kind of warning in it um because i there are lots of stories that i remember reading as a kid that had those same things they would even take pillars of you know um uh, 
Einstein and some of those same people that, that it had nothing to do with their accomplishments, but they would take a story from their life. They would pull it out. They would put their thoughts around it. And they would say, um, there was one where he um, played with his father's like metal punches and lost both his eyes, oh, wow. went blind, but he was a, a composer or a, some artist of some sort. And God turned his disobedience into good. So his blindness into good because he could still do that, even though he disappointed, you know, whatever. That that, that was everywhere. It was mm-hmm. extremely prevalent. Mm-hmm. And the you know, pineapple it, story. Oh, God, this pineapple story don't even. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I made a, I made a <laughs> Start on the pineapple story. I haven't covered that. <gasps> Oh, the pineapple story. Yeah, the, the, basically. <laughs> oh, yeah, prosperity gospel. And, you know, nothing you have belongs to you and you don't have any rights. So stop complaining when you're legitimately legitimately being wrong. And also racism, because, you know, why not? You know, yeah, like, for the cops all the way through. Say, you know, like mm-hmm. something is being done illegal. Let's, let's just, you know, drive that home too. just pray. Yep. It'll be fine. It's mm-hmm. ridiculous. Yeah, yeah what, what you're saying too about all those uh, stories where you know there were dire consequences if you made one wrong decision in your life and you could end up like you know blind or you know otherwise disabled or maimed or what have you, uh, you know, which was like half the stories of Ray growing up. Between that and chick tracks and everything, I'm like, you know what? Yes. Like regular regular kids got to read goosebumps, like you know, just something that would give you a good scare. You know, we were just. <laughs> Mortally yeah. terrified for our lives twenty four seven, and that was yes. school. You know? yes, like, that was school. twenty four seven. Yes. Yes. Yeah, some of those tracks are disgusting, and mm-hmm. they are disgusting. Oh, Somebody posted one the other day and said that their kid had gotten it here in Tulsa, and I was like, "They're still out there. There people. There's still people handing those out right now. The same ones that I saw when I was five <laughs> in eighty four or five or six or whatever same ones <laughs> somebody yeah. had posted like their logo or their like their podcast or something in a chick track thing i swear to god i had like almost a panic attack when i saw it i was like <gasps> i was like oh wait that's not a chick track what is what is that <laughs> i was like i'm like oh you're terrible like you got me there <laughs> My parents handed them out instead of candy when you're at Halloween and they taped coins to the back and then handed them out to the kids. Yeah. Fake dollar bills were my favorite. So um, it's been about an hour. So it's usually when we cut things off. But I did want to ask you. So you seem to be extremely busy right now. Um, What are you doing to um, take care of yourself? Because our podcast is kind of like mental health focused. So what are you doing to take care of yourself? And, I have no um, idea. <laughs> <laughs> what should you be doing? <laughs> Cherry Coke is how I'm taking care of myself. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah, I um, so I, I actually went up to uh, New York uh, to watch it with uh, my good friend uh, Heather Heath from the documentary. Uh, we we watched it w- when it dropped, and two days after I got back from New York, and you know, tried to get some normalcy and everything before the storm of everybody you know rushing to <laughs> contact me happened. Um, my car got stolen, so <laughs> yeah, like we're straight out from in front of my apartment with the heathen. <laughs> Right? <laughs> like once a, yeah, once upon a time, I probably would have been like, you know, well, this right. is just payback for being the documentary. But actually, <laughs> I walked 
I walked out there and, and I looked and I was just like, you know what? This I'm actually impressed. I did not see this coming. This is <laughs> that was a, you got me good on that. I tell you. So it, a long story short, it got stolen. It got totaled, and you know I had to get another car. Thankfully, insurance took care of me and everything. But it was it was a whole ordeal. So I was dealing with that, dealing with life stuff. Work has been really. Uh, nuts right now so it's just been one thing after another so uh, i'm not the best person to ask right now how i'm dealing <laughs> with stuff because you know quite quite frankly and, and i will say like this past weekend i just had like a complete shutdown i oh. just ran out of energy and i just said mm -hmm. i am going to spend a goodly portion of today in bed because i just don't have the energy to do things right now and that that's that's been one of the things you know one thing i've noticed that seems to be a common theme among iblp survivors is we don't really listen to our bodies and our you know our energy levels we just tend to keep going until you know something really bad happens so one thing that i have been working in therapy and and such is to actually start listening when my body says, okay, you know, you need to slow down. You need to, you know, take a quick break, you know, maybe, you know, cut out a few uh, things today and, you know, and, and take care of yourself. So I've been trying to make that more of an effort now that, you know, some of the urgent stuff involving the car and everything is taken care of. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm now like focusing on, you know, going at a steadier pace, putting hard limits on when, you know, I stop doing things. And when I start doing things, uh, scheduling in more leisure and scheduling in time. Uh, I'm very much into meditation. I do that uh, to try, uh, mostly as a as a chance to like check in with myself, see if there's any pain, anything that I need to address, or any stress that you know I need to I need to process. Uh, so things like that. I've been you know, you know be, because of circumstances, I've had to kind of really focus on life stuff. But now it's it's about spreading it out a little bit more evenly. So yeah. Yeah, I know with with a lot of this stuff, it can get so busy because you're out there, right? And so many people are contacting you. And I just remind you that you can say no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I really wanted to be here, though, just just to be very no, clear to, to everyone. Not to me. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody else? Yeah. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to add, and I meant to say this at the beginning, when I, when I finished well, actually, probably the first episode, but when I was watching the series and we turned it off, it was my husband and I that were watching it. I turned it off. I said, did you see that? Those people that came on there and said that are so incredibly brave and courageous. That took the very depths of their gut to, to conquer that and do that. That was so brave. I'm so proud of them. And I'm so inspired <laughs> to share. And then the, the very end, the last statement that said, all we had to do was speak. All we have to do is speak. All we, all we have to do is tell our stories. I was so inspired by that. Yep. And that's true. We, all we have to do is, is tell. And that, that takes an immense amount of bravery. And I just want to say that I was just, I just thought that was so brave. Yes. Thank you. Um, we definitely appreciate, you know, all of y'all um, coming and sharing your stories and helping get the word out there of the damage that was done to all of us, you know, and um, I'm, there's so much to the story. I'm so hoping for season two, Amazon, season two. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would definitely say keep rating uh, the series on all mm -hmm. the social medias and write to Amazon because I fully believe they can do it. I believe the, you know, 
I mean, I know I didn't talk for just, you know, what you saw on there. There was a good oh, yeah. five hours I sat in that chair, and I know the same is true of others. So hopefully, you know, there, there'll be some more topics they can cover. I would love for them mm-hmm. to talk about, you know, any affiliations with, like, say, HSLDA back in the day or some of the international ministries like Russia. There's just so much yeah, more yeah. that you can say. Also, I, I would like to add real, very quickly, Marcy, to what you're saying about, you know, all we had to do was talk. My favorite shot of the whole series was right after that, where they showed, sorry, it kind of gets me a little bit still, but it shows all of the videos of everyone speaking out, like flying at the screen. To me, (laughs) to me, that felt like, it it felt like almost like missiles just being launched at this cult that we've been powerless to speak against. And it finally, you know, hit to where we're like, hey, you know, this is our chance you know, yes. speak it out. So yes. that, that oh, it, it gave me chills. And the, and in by comparison, when they were showing that the, the people that were fundamentalists that, that were still in it and that were out there on the media and that were teaching those things, I didn't realize that that was still happening. I didn't know that there were people out there that, that were trying to, that look perfectly normal, but were teaching those things, right? The young couple and stuff. Mm-hmm. Scary, 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 scary. My heart dropped to my stomach. Like it just... It was scary. So that that ending was like, yes, we still have a voice. There's a balance to that. Mm-hmm. There's a comparison. There's that you know, there's a balance to that. Mm-hmm. So I will just add, and this is gonna probably make you cringe. We are now the fiery darts. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh I'm sorry. Can I add one more thing? I know. Yes, I, I know. Absolutely. I'm Keep adding. I'm. You know okay. what? What do we have to do? <laughs> I will say when we went to headquarters and we did speak to the one staffer who gave us permission to go around and, and take pictures and such, which, you know, we were honest. We just said we we're former students. We just wanted to take pictures for nostalgia's sake and whatever you school about it. <laughs> there, All the stuff was off the walls. Like there was no wall art. There was nothing. It was just empty space. But there was this one framed sermonette outside of this one gentleman's office. It was the only office that actually was functional. Like it had stuff in it, it had a computer and all that, everything else dead empty. And this one piece of wall art hanging outside that said, uh, others may, you cannot. And it was a sermonette where uh, it, I looked it up later. It talked about how God may choose certain people to be in high positions where they're highly visible and highly lauded, but he may choose you to work, you know, silently in the background doing these things. And it hit me. And I talked, I talked about it with Lindsay on the way out. I said, did you see that? And she was just like, yeah. I said, can you imagine like how much that was used to keep everyone in line who worked there at headquarters? Like, you know, others may, you know, be out there, the Bill Gothards, the, you know, the speakers and everything, they may get out there and get the glory, but you cannot, you are, your place is here propping all this up through your labor and everything. And I said, look where that's gotten. This building is empty. One lone man is working. There's no heat on in the building. It's abandoned. It's all falling apart. I said, look at where that got him. And she looked at me. I'll never forget. She said, Chad, we're the others. We are the ones who may now. And we're taking that. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Yes. That's awesome. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. So... Um, you are the fiery darts. You're right. Yes, we're the we fiery, are the fiery darts. Launched in a different way, but yes. <laughs> Grab your umbrella and your darts. You have a rebellion. 
Um, so, uh, I just want to thank you so much for being here. Um, it was yes. truly a pleasure to, um, get your perspective on this, answer some of our listeners and thank you anyone who is new to the channel for, uh, stopping by and watching and hanging out with us tonight. Uh, please don't forget to subscribe, like share, comment and all the things feed the algorithm because, uh, we are like this close to being able to be monetized. We need a thousand subscribers. We're like at 960 something. So um, yes, if you could please just share us with all the people, I'd appreciate it. Um, and then there was something else I was thinking, gosh, ADHD is so bad, um, especially at night. <laughs> and that um, helps get the message out. That helps reach people. Yes, absolutely. Because the more, and like, I don't know um, if you've seen, we have um, a whole abuse series on um our channel that just talks about uh 974 oh we gained some nice. on this live thank you so much everybody appreciate <laughs> it um and so um gosh dang it honey distracted me <laughs> <laughs> ah the adhd is bad today um oh so anyway um if you um need any help reach out to us we we try to help our you know fellow survivors um work through some stuff i know i have a few survivors that i keep in touch with and you know um just there's a lot of stuff that we have to deal with as survivors and there's a lot of intricacies and a lot of relationships that get changed by the different decisions we make and a lot of us lose our community and i know you shared chad that um you don't talk with your parents and stuff um, and a lot of us have to do that. I, I'm fortunate that I'm still able to speak with my parents and my mom is working really hard at, you know, making up for the things she didn't realize she was doing. Um, and I appreciate that. And um, I just want to tell everybody, you need to do what you have to do to keep you safe. And that includes you, Chad, and you, Marcy, and me. <laughs> um, and in closing, I want to say that if somebody has not told you recently, I want to tell you that I am proud of you and you have made the life that you have today. So um, that's one thing that I don't think we were told very much because it was a very bad sin to be proud. But whatever you have accomplished, wherever you are in your journey, I'm proud of you. So with that, I guess we will end this lovely live and maybe we can get chat on another time and uh we uh we can talk more or get some more of the survivors on and um if you are a survivor and you want to have a chat with us let us know and we can see if we can grab you and get you on the live so with that i think i have an extra yes i do <laughs> all right guys i'll have a great one bye thank you Bye. thanks for having me